So if you guys haven't already heard or noticed, uh, Allison is pregnant with her second, uh, a baby girl, baby girl on the way, so we can share clothes, that's good, <laughs> or reuse, reuse some clothes, yes, and she has an instant automatic best friend. So today's message, um, I titled, What You Talking About? And you, you, you'll see where that comes from, hopefully, in a moment, if you don't already know. Uh, so I wanted to do things a little different and start today, today's message with a quiz, pop quiz. All right, because most of you guys are well-read, it's not going to be a Bible quiz. Instead, something uh, maybe more challenging, maybe not. It's about pop culture, or to be specific, the best sitcom catchphrases. There's a website called um, About Television, and it has a top 25 top catchphrases. We won't have all 25. But the, the way this is going to go is I'll put the catchphrase up. I'll do my best to impersonate it, and I'm a terrible actor, so just bear with me. And uh, you guys tell me either the name of the show, TV show, or the character associated with it. So the first one, did I do that? All right. Steve Urkel, Family Matters. Next. You got it, dude. Got to imagine a little toddler girl. Pretty close, pretty close. You got it, dude. All right. So Michelle Tanner, Full House. All right. And uh, next we got... Missed it by that much. I know they know. So what is it? Yeah, get smart. Get smart. Yeah, I've seen that they have the collection at their home. When I when I when I drop Lydia off to be babysat, I've noticed that's a uh, popular film for the family. But uh, get smart. Here's one I think most of us will know. Lucy, you got some explaining to do. I love Lucy, yeah. And the last one, what you talking about, Willis? Someone heard, I heard the actor's name, Gary Coleman. The TV show is uh, Different Strokes. And so this idea, what are we talking about? What are we saying? Uh, I, I mentioned these overall, these catchphrases, because words and phrases stick with us. Really think about it. Some of these shows, I'm looking around the crowd, uh, I Love Lucy was before I was even born. And there's people here younger than me that still know that one. So just think about the enduring, how enduring words can be and catchphrases can be. And they stick with us. They stick with us, especially when they're repeated throughout time, when there's a trend. So if I hear the same similar, not the exact word, but similar things from different people over time, it, that'll stick with me. Uh, when they're connected to emotions. In the case of sitcoms, they're typically connected to something positive, something happy. So we tend to remember these for a long time. So words and phrases stick with us, but they also stick to others. And what I mean by that is the things I say have the potential to stick to other people. So it goes to that question, like, what am I talking about? What are we talking about? So when I think about that and I look at 
say, the scale of my life. If I, if I were to put my words of things that have been positive and things that have been negative on a scale, I'm confident that, that I would be more critical than positive. I can blame that on all sorts of things, family of origin, mostly I blame it on, on the military. Uh, we're not a very affirming group in the military. It's always about finding what's wrong. When I was an instructor, you know, soldiers would line up their rucksacks and their weapons and they'd sit down. As soon as I show up, first thing I'm looking for is what's wrong. I look up, oh, that weapon's not clean. Whose weapon is this? All right, drop, do 20. This weapon's not even on safe. Whose weapon is this? Drop, do 20. Where's your team leader? You drop, do 20 also, because you didn't inspect his weapon. And, and so, so you kind of get the idea, like, like most of my life has been critical and it carries over till now. I apologize, my wife has to deal with me. Uh, like doing dishes, simple things. It's like, in my mind, there's the right way. It's like, no, the forks go up, not down, or down out of whatever the case is. The silly things, you know, young married folks argue about. And I realize that that's just criticism. That's just me not appreciating what she's done. Instead, I should just say thank you for doing the dishes. So I have one less thing to worry about. So I know this is something I need to work on, something God's laid on my heart recently. And, and I'm, my assumption is I might not be alone. So hopefully at least one other person here can, can benefit from this message. So what are we talking about? The overall theme I want to kind of share is the idea that we have a responsibility for our speech, the words we say, the things we say, to be life-giving instead of life-limiting. And the reason for that that we will talk about today is that it's implied in creation. In the very beginning, it's, all, it's implied at the very beginning of, the, of God's word. Second, it's commanded in scripture numerous times, and we'll, we'll, look, we'll look at one example. It's modeled in scripture numerous times, and we'll look at a couple examples. And it's sustained through scripture. And that last one's not so much a reason, it's more of a resource. And we'll talk about that as we, as we get closer to it. So in the beginning, right, it's, it's implied in creation. Genesis 1, I won't read the whole thing, but uh, when we look at Genesis 1, it starts off with phrases like, then God said, let there be light. Later on, then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. Then God said, and so on and so forth. You kind of get the gist. God said, and it happened. God created with his word. Then we go fast forward to Genesis 1, and 27, where we come into the picture. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, all the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man or mankind in his image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. So a lot of times I would get to that passage. There was a time in the past where I thought that that's that we're supposed to look like God, but I know that's not right. Then, then as I kind of did more study and I heard from other professors, there's this idea that 
to be created in God's image means that we have a desire to create. And they talk about, you know, we create bridges, we create statues, sculptures, poetry, art, music, all of this creation that men, mankind has done as, as a way of wanting to be like our creator. And I was like, yeah, okay, I get that, I buy that. But a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine shared with me this takeaway, this insight that he had. And he focused on the fact that God created with his word. And he said, because of that, if we're created in his image, with his character, we also have some of that capacity that if he created with, with his word, we can create with our word. And not only that, when we look at the Genesis account, every time it says God created, Later on, it's followed by, and it was good. So God created, and it was good. So as humans, we have the capacity to create with our word. As fallen humans, it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes we have the capacity for life-giving speech, but also have the capacity for life-limiting speech. And so the things I say, when I say create with my word, I don't mean I say tree and a tree pops up, but it's the things I say to people. If I, if I say something good to someone, that's life giving. If I put someone down or insult them, life-limiting. Or criticize, again, life-limiting. So we have the capacity as humans to create with our word, just as our creator did. But as Christians, we have a responsibility for what we create with our word to be life-giving, for it to be good. And that's kind of what I want to focus on and again, that was like a new takeaway that someone shared with me. And I just thought, wow, I felt really convicted about my need to be more affirming. So, again, what are you talking about? Our responsibility to give life with our words. And we just looked at this implied in creation, implied in the, the Genesis account. Next, we'll look at where it's commanded. So it's commanded numerous places in the Bible. One I like to go to is Ephesians 4.29. Mostly, if you haven't looked them up or heard of them before, there's a band out there, a Christian band, called Building 429. And they base their band name off of this verse. So I, I, that's one of the reasons it just kind of pops up to my head near the top of the list. And this is, this is what it says. It says, No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And again, this is one of those things when I focus on that first part, no foul language. I'd always think of foul language. Growing up, not as a kid, overall growing up, my parents tell me, you don't say bad words. But when I became a Christian and started reading the Bible, I just thought it was about curse words. So over time I was able, and it's hard in the military to, to start phrasing curse words out of your vocabulary but I managed to somehow get there. And, and so I'm facing out these curse words, but it doesn't mean I'm doing what this word says. It's more than just curse words. That word foul is a Greek word, sapros. It's, it's, it appears in, in the New Testament maybe eight times, seven or eight times. Majority of those times, it's in reference to fruit. When it says they make a tree, a good tree gives good fruit, a bad tree gives bad fruit, that word bad, sapros, is normally just that rotten fruit, bad fruit. But it also, the extended kind of definition, includes unfit for use or worthless. So it's 
all that to say it's not just about curse words. To, to live up to that verse, to live up to Ephesians 4.29, for no foul language to come out of my mouth, it's not just not to curse, but to say positive, useful things, use, useful things coming out of my mouth. So continuing the verse, it, it says, but only what is good for building up someone in need. So that, that even makes it more clear. It's not just about the curse word, because I can hurt somebody without cursing. I can't remember somebody, I saw like a TV show where it says, see, didn't have to use a single curse word and it still hurts. You know, hurt, words can be hurtful without being curse words, bottom line. So it's not just about the foul language. It's about what is good for building someone up and especially in their time of need. So the point there is that our words to be life-giving should be building someone up. They should be edifying and encouraging. And then I think about this idea, like, have you been built up? Can you think of times in your life when someone built you up when you needed it? For me, I kind of look at both sides of that. Like, I can remember times when, when I was really down in the dumps of, of what someone said. Uh, and I even remember, we talk about words that stick with and they last with us, like high school. That's a long time ago. And I, there's still times I remember what people said that was negative. But I was glad I had somebody there. For me, it was my high school, um, the um, student council uh, mentor, the teacher. And kind of gave me this story that helped me out. Because I remember someone telling me, hey, David, you're a loser. You're no good. You can't do anything. I'm, I went somewhere. I actually cried. Wiped my tears, went up to the thing, did my work. I went up to the council room, uh, and he can tell something was wrong. And he kind of gives me this kind of com his comparison was about cars because he's a car guy. He's like, I can get a car from about 60 miles an hour top speed to about 100. If I put a little bit more work into it, I can get that car up to about 200. But after I get about 200, it's really, really hard. You got to put a lot of work to get that 205, 210, where the difference from 60 to 100, and I can't repeat it well, but his overall idea was this idea of inertia, inertia and success. Like, and what he was saying was, David, you're a very successful student. You may have failed here or did something wrong here, but you're a very successful student. And, and now you're at this point where you're performing like a, a race car 200 miles an hour, so it takes a lot of effort to get to 205 or 210. Don't be discouraged because where you're at, and it just, it just really spoken to me. And it probably wasn't for that moment. There's a lot of things that probably could have gone downhill in my life. But I had someone who, who encouraged me at a time when I needed it. I'm sure we all have similar stories. Uh, continuing from there, this, this idea, that same passage, says, no foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. That last part, those who hear... It's, I don't, to be honest, I don't know why I went to the Greek, but I just wanted to confirm that when it says those, it really is a plural word, and it is. It's meant to be a plural. The, it's the Greek plural of the definite article. So it's not so much just one-on-one. -on -one. If I'm talking to somebody, I'm encouraging them, but any, anyone else who hears that should also be encouraged. So I got to think, do my words not just encourage one person, but anyone else who hears it? Do people experience grace 
from the things I've said to someone else. So I kind of think of the instruction there isn't just that it's not about bad words, not just that it has to build somebody up, but it should also build up the community, build up others. And when I think about have I been built up or have you been built up, especially by someone else's accolades, I like to think about like when I watch other people win things, whether it's a game, like a championship, my favorite is like living medal of honor recipients. When you see them get their medal and, and you hear what's said about them, what they did, it kind of makes me want to be a better person. Another kind of a more minor example is like running. I remember going, being in a race and you gotta imagine when you're in a race, like, like a marathon or one of those big races, 10Ks, whatever, most of the people, they don't know you, they're strangers, just on the sideline, clearing and chapping, clapping and cheering. And there's a guy running and everyone's like, yeah, go Bob. Bob, yeah, go Bob. I was like, man, Bob knows a lot of people. After a while, I'm like, yeah, Bob, you go. Like, I'm getting pumped up because Bob's getting pumped up. Later on, I found out he wrote his name in big letters on his arms. <laughs> and that's a great idea. I actually did it. Next time I did a race, I did the same thing because it was great hearing people like, yeah, Dave, go. Like, yeah. But it's awesome to get pumped up, especially if you can get pumped up from someone else's accolades. But, but that's true. Whatever I say should not just be for one person, it should, it should encourage others. So the whole idea, Ephesians 4.29, to me, is it's more than cursing. It's not just censoring curse words, but having useful language that should build somebody up, and it should also be helpful to our community. So like the how do we do this, I got this, I can't remember from who, I, um, someone else shared this with me, and you may have seen it before, but it's called THINK. Have you heard THINK before you speak? Well, this kind of, this acronym tells us what to think about. So first, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? So before I say something, I should think of these things, and, and is it, does it meet this criteria? If it meets these criteria, it very well also meets Ephesians 4.29 and what we just talked about. So, so what are you talking about? We talked about our need, our responsibility for our speech and our words to be life-giving through the implied creation account, through commanding in Scripture. So now we'll look at the example, the model. And so we're going to go to the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to kind of hop around a bit, so I don't really have a spot for you to focus, but I want to focus on a person, and it's Barnabas. I always felt this was an unfortunate name because I always think like Barney Fife. Like, there's not that many people named Barnabas or Barney, right? But it's a beautiful name. It really is. I'm jealous of the name. Uh, so when we read about Barnabas in the book of Acts, we find out who he is. We find out he was a Levite named Joseph. And so the first thing's like, Joseph, for me, it took me about, I, I read the book, maybe it took me three times before I figured out that Barnabas wasn't his real name. Barnabas is a nickname. And Acts uh, 4, I think, 30, let's try to find it here. It's either 33 or 36. Take a look. <coughs> so, book of Acts 4, 36, it starts off, Joseph 
a Levite and a Cypriot by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas. And then that's the only time it says his name. Every other reference to him in the Bible is Barnabas. So I, I never knew that. Like, it took me a while to catch that. And I was like, ah. Not only that, there's no need for me to go to, like, the, the Hebrew and really figure that out what Barnabas means. Or Greek. I'm pretty, I think it's Hebrew. But it tells you right into the same verse. It says, the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means. Son of encouragement. And we'll see why he is called the son of encouragement. What an awesome name, huh? I mean, I've been called the son of certain things. <laughs> but never have I been called the son of encouragement. That'd be a great name. Uh, so, why is he the son of encouragement? Well, he gave Paul a second chance. When we think about Paul, we, we know kind of Paul's story. Paul's the guy that originally was persecuting the church. He's the guy who was going outside of Jerusalem to other cities and towns and bringing back people who were professed Christians so they could be tried in front of the Sanhedrin. He's the guy that when people, you know, they got Stephen and said, hey, should we stone this guy? Paul's the guy was like, yeah, stone that guy. And they did. They stoned him and he died. One of the first martyrs. So that's Paul. Paul was persecuting the church. And then he has this experience in Damascus. So I'm giving you like the David Reyes paraphrased version of, of the accounts. Uh, but he goes down to Damascus, gets struck blind, has an encounter with the resurre resurrected Jesus. Then he's kind of taken in by this guy, Ananias. And you know, time goes by, and they try to bring him back up to Jerusalem to the rest of the disciples to say, hey, this, this guy's one of us. And the rest of the disciples are like, no. Nuh-uh, not that guy, not Paul. We know what he did. We're not, he's not one of us. He's not a disciple. He's not, no way, no. I mean, it probably wasn't that, that many no's, but let's look at the passage real quick. should be Acts 9.27. Let's start at 26. It says, when he, being um, Barnabas, arrived, wait, I'm sorry, Paul. When he, when Paul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to associate with the disciples but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was a disciple. And some, some translations start with the word but. This one starts with the word Barnabas. If you keep going to verse 27, it says, Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that he talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So Paul's the reason we have, I'm sorry, Barnabas is the reason we have Paul. Well, God is the reason we have Paul. But Barnabas was the guy that, that stuck his neck out. Barnabas was the guy that said, I believe in you, Paul. Or maybe not so much I believe in you, but I believe God is doing a work in your life. Not only do I believe it, I'm going to be part of it. So, so what, as we fast forward, so Paul, he, he goes through some things. He gets sent off to Tarsus. And then... uh. Barnabas gets sent to Antioch. Barnabas gets to Antioch, and he kind of looks around. He's supposed to build a church and says, you know what? I need some help. I'm going to go get Paul. So Barnabas goes to Tarsus, gets Paul, goes back to Antioch, and, and builds this amazing church. And the Bible tells us at Antioch is where we were first called Christians. So it had to be an amazing church. But it was with Paul, and it was with Barnabas saying, I believe in you. 
I'm giving you a second chance, and I'm going to be part of that second chance. Uh, another example uh, of, again, Barnabas being the son of encouragement that he is, is Mark. He gave Mark his first and second chance. Barnabas is the reason Mark was invited on this first uh, mission, missionary journey. So, so they, they go out on their mission, something happens, and Mark flakes. So it's, it's Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. And I'm guessing Luke was, was there as the uh, person writing it down. But uh, Luke, Barnabas, sorry, Paul, Barnabas, and Mark go out on their mission. And at some point, Mark deserts. He goes back. He goes back to Jerusalem for whatever reason. And, of course, Paul is mad. They get back. They finish the mission trip. They get back, and they're ready for a second trip. And Barnabas tells Paul, hey, let's, let's take Mark. And Paul is like, no, no way, not that guy. He flaked on us. Never again. I'm done with Mark. I'm going to take Silas. So they split. Paul goes on a mission trip with Silas. Barnabas, he gets Mark and gives him that second chance. Not only that second chance, but he's part of the second chance. He's like, I'll take you with me. I believe in you. I believe God's doing the work in your life. And so he takes, he takes him with him, and we know that he had an amazing ministry. We know that also because later on down the road, years later, uh, Paul, who didn't like Mark or trust Mark, later writes a letter to, to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, he says, hey, I'm here uh, here with Luke, but uh, send Mark, please, because he's useful in ministry. But he's useful in ministry because Barnabas gave him that second chance, the son of encouragement. So when I think about speaking life with our words, it's not only just about accolade, like, good job, way to go, but also giving that second chance. Think about giving someone a second chance, saying, I believe in you. When I think about me and, like, the second chances, I've been given multiple, multiple chances for different places throughout my life. I, I don't know where I would be if it weren't for second, third, fourth, and 37th chances. But, um, like, I applied. Some of you guys know I, when I was in high school, I applied to go to West Point. Did not make it. Uh, devastated. I enlisted in the military. After a couple years, there was a guy that took interest in me, a major. And he was like, hey, David, have you thought about West Point? And I told him, sir, I already, I already tried. I, I, I can't. Uh, I, I, was, I was rejected. It's like, I, I think you can. I've seen, I've seen your work. You're a squared away soldier. I think you got what it takes. And uh, resubmit your packet. And I personally will write letters of recommendation. And he was a West Point graduate also. So it definitely helps to have a West Point graduate write you a letter of recommendation to get back in. And after it was all said and done, I got accepted. That was my second chance of someone not just believing in me, but someone saying, I'll, I'm going to put my reputation on the line. I will write that letter, or I will be part of that second chance. So that's power. That, that's giving life with your words. Being willing to give someone a second chance and being a part of that second chance. So again, what are you talking about? Our need, responsibility to speak life with our words. We looked at it's implied in creation. We've seen how it's commanded in scripture. We've seen how it's modeled. Barnabas, what an awesome name. Too bad I don't think too many people will still name their kids Barnabas. Still a great name. Uh, next, sustained. This is more of a resource than a reason. It's sustained through the scripture. 
So looking at Proverbs 4, verses 20 and 22, it says this, My son, pay no attention. I'm sorry, way off. My son, pay attention. Pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. And the reason I say this is a resource is because as Christians, this is where we need to go for our encouragement. Granted, I guess the overall idea is it's hard for me to speak life. It's hard for me to be encouraging to others if I'm empty. If my tank is empty and I'm depressed or I'm upset or I have nothing that, that I'm holding on to, it's hard for me to give life. Now, I can rely on other people, and that's a great thing. When other people speak into my life and it's encouraging, it's easier for me to be encouraging. But life's not always that way. I don't always have somebody else speaking into my life. But I have God's word. And that's always speaking into my life. And it's always saying, David, I have a plan for you. David, you're my child. You're, the, you're a son of God. You are a child of God. I have a plan and a purpose for your life to, to benefit you and not to hinder you. This, all these things that, that give me encouragement, that build me up and speak life into me, that, that's the source. And I think I like the comparison. If I'm, I'm, if I'm relying on other people, that's like having a glass of water. That glass of water goes empty pretty quick. If I'm relying on God, that's like getting my, my water directly from the ocean, this, this unlimited supply that God replenishes over and over and over again. So that last piece is just to say, or encourage us all to spend time in the word so that we can be filled with, with life. And it's not so much that I can just, it's not like memorize a word and regurgitate it. I mean, that, that is life-giving, but it's more than that. It's, it's filling my heart, soul, my heart with God's word so that I can give an encouraging word. Not so much as spinning back out of, of a verse to somebody, because that's not always helpful in a time of need, hearing 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 a, a scripture or gospel. But there are other words that I can share. Unless I'm filled up, it's hard for me to do that. So just, again, just kind of summarizing what are we talking about. Our responsibility as Christians to have life-giving speech. And we know that because it's implied in creation, commanded in scripture, modeled in scripture, and sustained through scripture. So my kind of challenge to everyone here, and to myself, because I know I need this more than anybody, and my wife can, can tell you that, and I apologize for not being better, <laughs> a better husband and more appreciative of everything you do. Uh, but to recognize our capacity and our responsibility, our capacity as people, humans, created in God's image to create with our words. We have that capacity. We also have the responsibility that our creation be good. Remember to think before we speak. So it's Ephesians 4.29, or this, this acronym to think. Who remembers to think? All right, we got one at least. That's it. That's the end of the pop quiz. I, I, I didn't forget, failed to say there's a pop quiz near the end. But uh, good. Is it, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Think before we speak. 
because it's not just about the purity of our words, it's about the purpose and power behind them. Finally, the last two, to be a person of encouragement, like Barnabas, by giving people a second chance and being part of that second chance. And last, to draw encouragement from the never-ending living stream of God's word. And that last one to me, it wasn't until like this morning I started thinking about it, the creating life with my words, that this last one's very important because one of the worst things I do is have life-limiting speech for myself. When I put myself down, like when the end of the night, no one's around, if I'm just talking to myself, sometimes I put myself down. I say bad things about myself, whether it's in my mind. And the one thing that combats that the best is going to be God's word. So our life-limiting speech or life-giving speech is, is, is for others, but it's also sometimes for us, being able to say a good thing about myself. And that's all I have for, for us today. Please join me in a quick word of prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for, for your creation. Lord, we thank you for giving us this recognition that we can create with our words. Father, inspire us, help us to always create something good, to be kind to others, to be encouraging, and to give others second chances. As you had given us a second chance, as your son died on a cross so that we can have a second chance. And we know from his example, after Peter denied him three times, he reaffirmed him three times and gave Peter that second chance. So, Lord, we pray the same for us, that you do the same work in our lives. We ask this in your son's holy name. Amen.